Hi everyone, um, welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. Today I want to deliver a podcast that is more about making sure that candidates do not give up in their quest for, you know, whether it's joining McKinsey or BCG, but also I think, you know, uh, the desire to be successful in life because you are going to face obstacles, things are going to be difficult for you. And it's important that irrespective of what happens, you don't look at things and say, oh my God, things are so difficult, I'm never going to make it. I want you to put things in perspective. So today I'm going to tell you the story of two eminently successful people that I know personally. And I want you to see their story in perspective. And, you know, if I had told you the story without mentioning who they are, you would say, my God, they're not going to make it. But, and, and that's why I'm going to tell you the story, I'm not going to tell you who they are until it's the end, so that you can see that these really successful people face some pretty, you know, hectic obstacles along their way. So I think the first thing is that, you know, there was a, let's assume there was a guy, you know, he's got a bachelor's degree in science from Louisiana State University, and, um, you know, he's um, growing up in the South, and busy creating a career for himself right so he he joins a um um australian company um in the aluminium sector and works his way up over a period of something like eight years you know as an entry-level position to become sort of general manager of this uh, aluminium semi-fabricator in australia so you know obviously a very talented guy works quite hard and from there he moves over to a bauxite company in Jamaica. Now, for those of you who don't know, bauxite is a um, um, is the ore, the stuff you dig out of the ground that is used to make aluminium, right? So, you know, again, he works there for about six years. You know, works his way up, tries really hard until he eventually works his way up to become president of this, uh, you know, bauxite company, which he leads for quite a few years. Uh, you know, makes it very successful, turns it around, sets up joint ventures, and so on. And, you know, he's busy building a name for himself. Now, this guy's career kind of continues where he, you know, takes on increasingly uh, greater levels of responsibility in you know, a variety of industrial companies and um, some startups and so on now. The companies around the bauxite companies were not, you know, mega bauxite companies uh, the size of those that, you know, Rio Tinto and, uh, you know, the other oil, uh, mining majors manage. So, you know, he's, he's successful, but I would say, you know, could be, I wouldn't say could be more successful, but, you know, he, he, he is someone who is going places in an industry that's quite narrowly defined in the sense that you know the iron the iron ore boom and aluminium boom only came in the late 1990s you know 2000 and that's when you know everything took off now the story is not about this guy the story is about this guy's son because i think that's important I, the reason i started with the father is because i want you to understand the influence that the son had right so the son goes to rice university which is you know a, a pretty good university uh, you know obviously uh, well known um, you know known for developing talented leaders and so on and he uh, enrolls at Rice University where he does you know very well he's not like a, a slacker in fact he kind of does I would say you know exceptionally well where he makes a name for himself in, in a Bachelor of Arts degree studies architectural studies and um, 
you know, he did so well that he did so well during his high school education that he was allowed to enter Rice University without completing high school. And he actually, you know, was allowed to transfer some credits and so on. So, you know, he attends Rice, he, the son of this executive attends Rice University, studies Bachelor of Arts, gets into Rice University without finishing high school, which is quite amazing, actually. And, you know, finishes on the dean's list every year. And in fact, he does so well at Rice University that he becomes the first person ever to be admitted to Harvard Business School um, without working. He just gets admitted directly from Rice University, right? And, you know, does very well, you know, exceptional in class, um, able to, you know, fit very well into the Harvard uh, style of debating cases and case issues and so on. And he finishes on the dean list every semester, graduates as a Baker Scholar with highest distinction. But, you know, you'd think this guy would have, the, you know, everything at his, uh, f you know, footsteps. But he applies to McKinsey for an internship and they say, no, they didn't even interview him, didn't even look at him. And, you know, the question is, you know, where does this guy go from here? You know, what's his future? He gets declined for an internship, you know. I think that's quite a devastating um, result for anyone. So, before I tell you who this guy is and where he ends up, I'm going to tell you the next story as well. So, the next story is about a guy who grows up in a, um, in a town that has a, you know, a fairly small I would say it's quite sparsely populated, you know, you know, they'd call it the, the, the sticks if they could. And, you know, he goes to a, he goes, he grows up in a community where there is not really this predilection for higher education, let's put it that way, you know, there's not a lot of investment in schools and so on. So, you know, high school class of about 212 people, I think it was, and only six or seven of them make it to university. I mean, so that's quite a low number. That's a 3% of this high school class is going to university. And, you know, this guy doesn't go to, the story doesn't talk about how he, you know, breaks through high school and goes to, you know, I don't know, Yale or Harvard or, or Stanford and, you know, achieves great things and so on. No. He gets into the University of British Columbia, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people from the University of British Columbia are going to send me horrible emails telling me it's not such a bad university. But, you know, the comparison is important, right? So he goes to the University of British Columbia and he studies economics and he does quite well. He, in fact, he excels and he wins a Rhodes Scholarship to attend Oxford University, right? And then while he's at Oxford University, um, one of his, um, I think it was one of his classmates or one of his um, housemates, I think the word is, um, is applying at uh, Rothschild, which is a famous investment bank, and says, well, why don't you come along? So he goes along, likes it, well, needs to pay off, obviously, debt and so on. And he gets a job as a currency analyst at Rothschild. And then, you know, he works there for a few years, but looking for something different, he he applies to um, McKinsey, which he gets in. And unlike our previous friend who couldn't even get an internship, this guy gets in. And he does quite well, you know. I mean, his career is, is doing well. He's getting promoted relatively rapidly. Not Nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing that says, you know, this guy could achieve greatness. But he really struggles to make the transition from associate partner to, to principal and then director. In fact, you know, the, the title associate principal is quite a new title. It didn't exist back in my day. So it's kind of a new title. Um, so this guy gets into a principal level. And he's trying for directorship, right? So junior partner trying to become a senior partner. And the first time he goes in for his um, uh, partnership assessment, he's told that, you know what? Uh, we don't think that you are mature enough and ready enough 
to handle um, the to 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 consistently demonstrate the rigor required to manage clients. So he's rejected for his partnership. The the second time, and the guy's you know killing himself, working really long hours, and and really trying to do as much as he can to you know f- meet McKinsey's high standards to be a director. So the second time he goes in for his partnership review, he's told, well, you're obviously you know working quite hard and you you're showing consistency, but you're also the issue here is that we're not sure if you're analytical enough to to be a partner at McKinsey, which is you know like the worst insult you can ever give anyone, right? I mean, it is probably the worst insult you can give anyone, especially in a consulting firm like BCG McKinsey. Tell them you're not analytical enough. That's like you know might as well not be there. So you know, guys, obviously, dis- you know, devastated, goes back, works even harder, you know. In fact, you know, I think the rejection forced him to start focusing on on being more on focusing on what I'd call collaborative roles, whereby he was uh, developing a style of partnership, whereby he was forced to work on projects requiring many different stakeholders and bring them together. But anyway, he goes for his third partnership, you know, um, assessment, and they tell him, well, you know, not an easy discussion. I they slap him on the back he makes partner which i would say barely right now now who are these two people right uh, well first one is kevin coin who went the first guy the one from rice university whose father worked in the bauxite industry was kevin coin who was rejected for his you know harvard internship who then went on to become you know one of the most recent global strategy leaders of uh, mckinsey and a firm's consulting mentor as well uh, you know he supports and helps firms consulting uh, quite extensively uh, dealing with our clients and so on and we obviously you know very grateful for his support and the next person happens to be a fellow Canadian um, Dominic Barton who went on to become managing partner is the current managing partner of McKinsey so whenever I hear these you know stories from people about the challenges they're facing they didn't get in for their mentorship you know it's hard for them they grew up poor I always think of the story of Kevin and Dominic right you know Kevin um, you know he was like fortunate to have a father who I think was um, you know quite focused on business so he probably inherited that but beyond that you know a smart guy, obviously talented guy, gets into Harvard Business School, shoots the lights out, gets doesn't even get invited for you know an internship at McKinsey. It doesn't stop him. He gets into McKinsey for the full-time role, and he he goes on to obviously shoot the lights out at the firm, right? And the point here is that you got to read the numbers for what they are. You know, Kevin was smart enough to realize, and I remember this he was telling one of our clients. You know, um, he was explaining to a client why this wasn't an issue, and the issue was that if you look at the numbers that McKinsey hires for internships, they take very few people that they can put onto projects immediately. So. They're taking few people that they can put onto projects immediately because if you don't, if you cannot put the intern onto a project immediately, the intern's going to go back to Harvard and say, "Oh, I had a horrible experience." So there were a lot of things outside of Kevin's um, um, control that had no bearing on his intellect and abilities that allowed him to be declined. He read the numbers carefully, he read the rejection, and obviously he went on to become enormously successful in you know, reading McKinsey's worldwide strategy practice. Let's look at Dominic Barton, right? You know, grew up in British Columbia. I, I can't remember the exact numbers he provided, but it's something like, you know, 210 or 213 people in his class. Um, and he was one of the six, uh, went to British Columbia, studied economics, Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford, barely got in as a currency analyst at uh, Rothschild. And uh, from what I understand, you know, he may disagree with this, but uh, he, he, he didn't really have a knack for that kind of work. So he joined Toronto in McKinsey and he um, 
did fairly well, but he did struggle to make partnership. You know, three times rejected, and he made a very unusual move. I think of going to South Korea, which was then a backwater. You know, you know, if you read the official profile of 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 um, Dominic Martin, they make it sound like he went to Korea and you know he just walked into the McKinsey office and everything happened to him. At that point, if you went from Toronto to, to, to Seoul, South Korea, you were like saying, you know what? I'm going to leave Los Angeles movie industry and I'm going to go to, I don't know, Belgium and be a big TV star, right? So he, he, he took the path that everyone expects him to take, you know, working through the Toronto ranks, and he went to South Korea, which was really, I wouldn't say badly run, but it wasn't doing very well. And he built up the ability for Korea to become a powerhouse within McKinsey, and what we call an, an export office, a firm that an office that is producing so much intellectual property uh, that it is able to export that across the world. That's how you measure the maturity of a McKinsey or BCG office. Is it producing IP that other offices can use? He then, you know, used that. I mean, he was very successful on these uh, multi-governmental projects where to bring together different stakeholders. That was his bread and butter. He, he, you know, he, he was so successful in Korea that to some extent Korea was outshining um, the, the Tokyo office, which if you know the history of McKinsey, um, um, Kenichi Oma ran Tokyo for a long time and off the Tokyo base he was the director for McKinsey Asia, Greater Asia. And then you've got this Koreans led by Dominic Barton rising up and usurping Korea, uh, Japan and then Dominic Barton sitting in Korea becomes the director for Greater Asia, right? And given the fact that the world's shifting east and so on, well, you know, you know the story, Dominic Barton becomes the managing partner for McKinsey Worldwide. The, the moral of the story is, yeah, is that if you face obstacles, put them in perspective. An obstacle is only bad if you see it as a bad thing. And that's something I also learn from our clients, you know. Firms Consulting, I think we are very unique in the sense that, you know, you know we have all these senior partners that we sometimes, you know, use and they guide us and they, you know, help us. But our, our core advisory team is also a lot of our clients, whereby some of our clients, I think, are truly exceptional. Obviously, all of them are exceptional, but some of them are just exceptionally exceptional and we rely on them very carefully to to pass information to uh, pass as in p-a-r-s-e not p-a-s-s -S, uh, guide us think through issues for us and so on they, they are very good at doing that so my point is that when you face an obstacle do not think it's the end of the world no matter how bad it looks it's in a lot of people's benefits to make it look like you failed when you're struggling. And it's important for you to understand that a lot of great leaders struggled. Now, I'm not saying I'm a great leader by any measure, not, you know, compared to some of the mentors we have at Firms Consulting. But, you know, I've also had my fair share of struggles. My first project was a, pretty much a disaster. But I learned my lessons and I, you know, took off like a rocket ship after that, becoming a very young principal at a very elite firm. So uh, I think that... It's important to put failure in perspective. You know, do not just look at the successful people and say they had it very easily. A lot of times people face an obstacle and they see it as a roadblock when all you have to do is just reverse your car, think things through and figure out another way around it. So you get declined by McKinsey or BCG for an internship, not the end of the world. You, you get into McKinsey and your career is not working, not the end of the world. Your job is to keep perspective and adjust. Now, it's 
easy to say that from my side, you know, someone who's made it all the way to partner and to refer to all these other people. But I can assure you, in the heat of the moment, I make mistakes too, and everyone makes mistakes. The, the point is that rely on a very effective network to guide you. That's very important. That network can be firms consulting. It doesn't have to be firms consulting, but make sure you have an effective network to guide you. And, and, and be critical of your network. You know, Don't just listen to people. Think about the advice they're giving you. Face an obstacle, not the end of the world. Rely on your network to guide you through it. And also, you know, people lose confidence because they just compare themselves to these you know, images. I've given you two stories of two very successful McKinsey partners, and you can see that they didn't have this starry-eyed part to the top. There were problems, but you've got to deal with it and you know, become stronger from the process. As always, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to post it. Thank you.